Welcome to the Everyday Innovator Podcast for product managers and innovators. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping product managers become product masters. Listen and get ready to take your career to the next level for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad, your host, and this is where you make your move from product manager to product master. Each week, you get valuable training through this podcast, Concepts That Grow Careers. I also provide training through my website that helps you not only grow your career, but accelerate it. You'll find out more about that at the same place where the show notes for this episode are, and that's the everydayinnovator.com slash 132. Now, several listeners have asked about lean startup and product management, how the two fit together. Many organizations are incorporating lean startup practices, And these are organizations that already have a stage gate process in place, typically. The challenge is, how do you get both to play nice with each other and gain the benefits of each without losing something in the process, and hopefully without frustrating people in the process? To discuss this topic, I turn to a well-experienced product manager and innovator who mentors young entrepreneurs as well as large companies, showing them how to put lean into practice and align it with other methodologies, including stage gate. My guest is Mark Atkins, president of Smart Hammer Innovation, a management consulting business that helps companies apply best practices to innovation management. He's also a part-time professor at the University of Pittsburgh Center for Medical Innovation. And Mark shows how lean startup works best in the front end of StageGate, enhancing an organization's product process overall. I hope you enjoy the interview. Hi, Mark. Welcome to the Everyday Innovator podcast. Hi, Chad. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. I appreciate you taking time for this. So we know each other from PDMA Circles, Product Development Management Association, and both have volunteered time over the years with them. And you have a good deal of background as a product manager and bringing products to life. And that's where I wanted to start. Share a little bit of your background and just how you got started in product management. Sure. I'd be glad to, Chad. Um, It goes back to the uh, very late 80s, early 90s. Uh, the first product I ever launched that I was kind of the team lead on was in 1990. And um, it, it it was quite nerve wracking. I really was tapped on the shoulder and just said, hey, Atkins, we need a new product. You look like someone <laughs> that we can uh, that we can rope in to do this. And so a team of us worked for uh, almost two years and then uh, launched it at a large trade show. Hmm. And uh uh, very fortunate that it went on to be quite successful in the market. Uh, it certainly helped my career advance at a company called Cincinnati Millicron. Uh, this was a form of factory automation. But one of the things that I reflect upon, and I'm sure we'll get into it more about later phases of my career, is that I really wasn't very well trained. I felt very fortunate that we had some good people. But when I look back on what I knew 28 years ago, and what I know today, what I'm able to teach and mentor, um, I think I think the people coming up in in our community today, the product development and management community, have a wonderful opportunity to learn a lot and, and get better than than the previous generation. And you are involved a lot in mentoring, both through teaching. I know that you do, and then informally through the kind of this community of practice through PDMA and other groups of product managers. 
But I'm curious, when you got tapped on the shoulder these uh, 28 years ago and uh, said, hey, hey, Mark, come uh, come do this uh, for us, where was your mind at in terms of, I don't know what kind of experience you had even knowing anything about products and product development? I had some electrical engineering background, um, but I was also doing work. By that time, I was in the marketing department, but what we called a proposal engineering. So it was a foot in the world of the technology and a foot in the commercial world. So I think that was one thing that helped me that I was looking at both sides uh, of that. And I think they, frankly, they wanted people with uh, passion, with ambition, with the ability to rally a team. When I look back in those days, we'll talk later in the talk about stage gate and process. This company had no process. I mean, they just would say, we need a new product. And there was there was no gate meetings or gate reviews or uh, deliverables. There was there was no playbook for me. So I built the playbook, you know, at, while developing the product. Then later, I was promoted eventually and be, ran product development for that company. And then by that time, I'm learning more about StageGate. And then we we did deploy StageGate at Millicron in the mid '90s, and that was one of my accomplishments while there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you're the person that develops the playbook and people are using it, that makes sense that you would be promoted to to be leading product efforts. Yeah, and and that segued into my uh, meeting uh, PDMA because in 1998 PDMA uh, we were nominated by people who knew us, and in '98 they we won the Outstanding Corporate Innovator Award for the whole hmm. world. And what was the organization? Cincinnati Millicron was okay. is the name or was it's changed now. But it, we made factory automation equipment and CNC machine tools. But the, the, the two things I'd mentioned, we had an outstanding statistic in terms of new product as a percent of sales. Hmm. Uh, we were overhauling all our major product lines. So we went from somewhere in the low 20s to hitting 50% of sales were coming from product launched in the last three years. So I, I'm very proud of that. The PDMA came in and saw that. Um, and because they wanted real numbers, this wasn't just, you know, talk to talk, you had to walk the talk. So the fact that we were launching and selling products and driving our new product as a percent of total sales so high, that caught it. And then I, I got to quickly mention the other part of it was the cultural element, where people who were project team leaders, we were called killers, because the president of the company had a motto, he was an ex military guy. And it was his mo- his motto was kill or be killed. Mm-hmm. And so when you were given a project, you literally we were known as killers. And it, I never forget when the PDMA people came in and we were introducing and we I'd say, well, this is uh, Jim Harden and he's one of our killers. Uh, this is Kevin Bevan. He's another one of our project killers. Out, <laughs> out of context. Like, reacting. Yeah. Out of context. <laughs> you're not sure what's going on here. Yeah. And then we had to explain that, hey, we are in an ultra-competitive uh, environment, and, uh, and we have to beat the competition. There's no, there's no, no other way. We either win or die. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so, so I thought those are a couple of interesting elements of the days at Millicron and winning the OCI award and uh, putting StageGate in, putting our version, our flavor of StageGate into the company. What wonderful experience as an early product manager kind of getting thrown into this role figuring out what the processes are, bringing those processes to the organization, and being part of winning the Outstanding Corporate Innovation Award. 
That really was a big boost, I would think, to uh, what has become a, a great career path for you. Yeah, it was was and um, uh, enabled me when I left Millicron in 2000. Uh, one, I was able to help start the, the Cincinnati chapter of the PDMA. So I wanted to give back in that way. Mm-hmm. And then I ended up moving into the consulting role. And it's been very uh, it's been wonderful to have. If you take a 30-year career, it's about 50-50, you know, 15 years in corporate life, 15 years consulting. And the consulting certainly has given me the opportunity to to look deep into other companies, see much more than I would have if I'd only stayed at one company, for example. So so that – it was a really great jump off to have all those years at Millicron, but then start my own company – and start working with companies in other industries like medical devices mm-hmm. or um, the steel industry and so on. And those processes that you learned early on, you have refined and helped other companies with. And the topic of our discussion is really focusing on looking at lean practices and lean startup practices, as well as StageGate. StageGate, uh, I, I was talking to the uh, U.S. manager of StageGate International and this was a couple of years ago. At that time, 80% of the Fortune 1000 used some kind of stage gate process for the work to organize work. We've seen lean startup practices certainly get adopted more frequently in the last few years by organizations also. And it's, it's not always the case that one replaces the other. And it's sometimes hard to get these things to fit together. So mm-hmm. wanted to dive into that some with you and your experience. Let's start on the lean startup practices side. I'm curious what kind of things were going on as you were working with companies that got you involved in investigating Lean Startup. I had uh, left consulting uh, and a client of mine, a company called Kenna Metal, uh, here headquartered in the Pittsburgh area, they hired me to come in to run product development and marketing for their for their company. And one of the things Kenna Metal was facing was um, they're a mature company they they weren't getting great market share growth and they they looked at their portfolio of what they were offering and said we're just not getting enough break breakthrough big home run type ideas and to the leadership's credit they said and they're very very strong stage gate organization so as opposed to millicron where when i started was kind of wild west um Kenimental was definitely you know a very rock solid stage gate organization um, but they then said, we have to do try something new. So this was even a bit before Eric Reese and the Lean Startup book. Mm-hmm. They, they formed a group called Innovation Ventures Group. I got to work with one of their founders of this, a guy fellow named George Colston. So I, I got exposure to this idea that we have to have something outside of StageGate if we're looking for um, bigger breakthrough ideas. Um, then the next step in the evolution for me was the mentoring programs here at the University of Pittsburgh in, in in Pittsburgh. So they have both a program called Blast Furnace and a program First Gear. Both go right off of, of uh, Eric Reese and Alec Osterwalder's material to, you know, to teach and use Lean Startup with very early, very imma- – I'll call them immature ideas that have a high degree of uncertainty and a high degree of risk. And so I, I've spent the last four years almost continually working with one cohort or the other as a business mentor. And it's been a wonderful opportunity to take literally dozens and dozens of primarily healthcare related ideas 
and try to apply, you know, the techniques of lean startup, build, measure, learn, business model, canvas, design of experiments, learning plans, and so on. So just to close on the, on the lean startup side, I have a client currently, again, with a very solid, stable stage gate process, but again, lack of breakthroughs, hard to get home runs, hard to take market share, hard to enter new markets. So I've spent the last year and a half putting in a lean startup methodology for them. And I, I tend to position it as pre-stage gate. So it, it, there's an overlap there if we have time or how much detail you want to get into. But there, the, we're in this one instance, we're definitely deploying a lean startup mentality prior to the traditional stage gate process. Okay. I want to take a quick side trip with you and just go to black back to Blast Furnace and First Gear. Those are okay. programs with who? The University of Pittsburgh. And these are entrepreneurial programs with the intention of helping students experience what it's like to get an idea created and take it somewhere. And they are me- and start a company. Wow. They're measured their goal, their metric that they get measured on is how many new companies did we create this year? Mm-hmm. So it's I think in the one program, we're up to 28 companies that have been formed coming out of uh, the Blast Furnace. That's excellent. I, I love hearing about these programs. There's more and more popping up, and I like bringing them to the everyday innovators listening too, in case anyone's thinking about you know whether they're interested themselves or they have a child interested about these programs. There's one at my local college, University of Colorado at Colorado Springs, that brings together a engineering and innovation um, disciplines to try to get people to actually, you know, create something new, right? And create companies or help companies. I was visiting First Build about three, four weeks ago, which is the General Electric Appliance Incubator, Innovation Incubator. And they're on the campus at the University of Louisville in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And yep. they're on the campus for the same reason to have students involved with developing yeah. new, for them, new, new appliance technology. So, yeah. Interesting programs. I'm glad to see more and more of them popping up. A lot more co-creation going on and opportunities I wish I would have had as a student seen at the time. I'd like to add one quick thing that some people don't appreciate, but all of these students that are in the, like the last cohort, we just had 24 teams come through Blast Furnace. This isn't for credit. They don't get, there's no school credit. They're still carrying a full load. This is done in their spare time yeah. because they want to start companies. They want to create new businesses. So I real experience. I, yeah. There, there's a young man at the, one of the local coffee shops I, I tend to frequent. Uh, so I, I tend to spend too much time working out of coffee shops. It's just my MO. And he was talking one day about business, business ideas he was interested in creating. And he's, he's at the point where he's thinking about, do I go down the path of going to business college or do I just try to be an entrepreneur? You know, and I gave him some resources and we chat from time to time. Uh, but I'm delighted to find out about programs like this because they're good options for business school to get this experience along the way too. Yeah. Okay. So thanks for the tangent for me. Let's just set the stage a little bit because we talk about lean startup practices and not everyone knows what those are and what they, how we think about them. So can you just kind of frame that about what you mean by lean startup and, and how that applies to the work that you're doing? Sure. So I, I think, um, the first thing I would say, you have, I would give credit to, um, the book, um, 
Lean Startup by Eric Ries. Mm -hmm. And there was the two books by Alex Ostevalder, Business Model Canvas, and then later Value Proposition Creation. Um, so those are kind of the fundamentals. There's been now a number of other spinoff books and so on. But the hallmark of their principles, um, the, the core, and I, it's a quote from Eric Reese, different quote than the one we talked about earlier, but you have to be, when, you have to be in learning mode. So when you're doing your early, uh, customer investigation, when you're, uh, thinking of value propositions, when you're thinking of product concepts, um, when you're in these early stages, your sole metric is what am I learning? And if you're not learning, everything else is waste. Hmm. And for companies that have a very execution-oriented mentality where you've been running StageGate for 20 years and it's all about milestones and deliverables and budgets and execution, to stop and say, we don't know what we don't know yet. We, you know, another quote cliche, we want to fail fast. Big companies really struggle with that. Once an idea gets into their pipeline, it be there's a cultural element that if you fail, if you if it's not a commercial success, not only did the project fail, but you were a failure as well. Mm -hmm. And and again, I, I don't know if I need you know to go through this with the Silicon Valley entrepreneurial world where you're celebrated for your failures, you're admired because you, you're you've. You, the only way you failed is because you took some big risks and you failed. And that makes and you hopefully, smarter and stronger. Exactly. Huh? You learned a lot in the process. You learned a lot. So it's a really interesting dynamic to set up these project reviews now where the leaderships of these companies are all about budget and milestones and deliverables. And, and I've had to just say this till I'm like a broken record. What did you learn? That's all I want to hear today. Tell me what you learned and tell me based on what you learned, should we still be doing this project? Mm -hmm. And and that's such a different atmosphere than what you have in traditional gate review meetings. So that's, you know, that, that's maybe a little still at the cultural level, the atmosphere, as opposed to lean startup means building out your business model canvas looking at it, understanding what the killer assumptions are behind your business model canvas, and then designing experiments that attack those assumptions that you believe will kill your project. That That's the mechanics of it. People get that pretty quickly, but I still find months later, they still forget that we're doing this to learn. Right. We're not doing this to execute. Which is a big contrast. And so when we look at the stagecape process, in what you just described for uh, lean startup practices, very much the learning mindset. We're doing experiments. We're seeing what works. We're testing our assumptions. We're learning from that. When I work with companies and help get their product managers really become more capable as a group, there's almost always it's something that looks like a stage gate process in place because we we do this to reduce risk in organizations, right? Mm -hmm. So for stages, organizations will vary, but there's typically some kind of uh, idea generation or scoping stage. And then we go through decision gate and then there's a business case development and then we move into actual product development. And then we do some kind of testing validation, right? And then we, we launch it more times than not. And I'm curious what you've seen that first stage, whether they call it stage zero or mm. something, right? Where, where you get the idea and you flush out, flush out the idea. 
it's really hard to get anything out of that stage, but the things that do never get killed. Right. right? And so once they're out of that, it might go through, depending on the organization, you know, another four, five, 13 stages, but they almost never get killed past that point. Right. You know what that means, right? It means they have a funnel, not a tunnel. (laughs) You want to quote, right? Your pipeline is supposed to be a funnel, funneling down. Most companies have just a tunnel. You know, 10 ideas come in and 10 ideas come out the other end, as opposed to let's have 100 ideas coming in and let the seven best come out at the other end. Yeah. The other other term I use is zombie projects. You can't kill them. They're just walking dead. They're just... You know, we, well, we've put too much money into them. Oh, no, you know, that's, that's Jim's pet project. You wouldn't, you wouldn't think of killing that. We can, we can fix it. So those are all the excuses as opposed to having this fail fast idea that says, you know, this thing's really weak. Let's just get, let's right. dump it and get onto the next good idea that we've got in the pipeline. Yep. And you guys gave some good reasons why that happens. You know, the, the pet projects or the CEO wants this, or I, I think another one is the, the sunk cost fear that, well, we've already spent so much money on this. How can we kill it now? But why would you want to bring a product to market that you know is either going to harm your reputation, not going to pr- provide value, you know, it's going to fail once it's on the marketplace, take the hit earlier and kill yeah. it. Yeah. And I was curious when you were first introducing the, the, the notion of killers, in your, that early organization you worked with and what context that was. And you said it was, you know, we, we need to dominate the competition. We, we you know, we, we want yeah. to win this battle, you know, kill the competition. But often product managers also, they're thought of in terms of the ones that hopefully are killing off the bad ideas yeah. and really highlighting and amplifying the good ideas. Yes. And you don't yeah. know that right away, right? You, you have to do the experiments and the learning. Yeah. And that's why the first stages one and two are under in traditional, more mature organizations. And I think there is a place if, if you are simply upgrading a mature product line, I could make the case you don't need all of the, the early uh, ideation, if you will, and all of the, uh, that testing. But, um, but unfortunately, the, the, it, they do tend to just short shrift stages one and two. And, and then, you, and then you do find yourself sitting there in development, ready to drop lots of money. And God help you. You know, I hope you've done your due diligence. I, there's another old saying, right? Measure twice to cut once, right? I, in my workshops, I would always challenge companies. If this is a five gate model and it's a million dollar project spend, what percent do you spend in stages one and two? What, how much of your dollars? And tell us again what you do in stages one and two. Yeah. Well, I'm asking them in stage one and two was what scoping. I think Mm -hmm. the classic is scoping and then business case. Yeah, right. right? Done very quickly, done with very little money, and now you're into development, and now you've got 20 engineers designing, writing code, and and now all these other dynamics, you know, gosh, we've got so much money invested. Oh, we've already promised a launch date. It's in the financial (laughs) plan. We, we we can't we can't stop this project. We we got ten million in in twenty nineteen for this. All of those dynamics begin. That's why you end up with the zombie projects because right. there's no one willing to kill them. But it, but it goes back to did I do my due diligence in stages one and two or even stage zero, which is what I'm the work I'm doing is mm-hmm. we don't we don't even 
The projects I'm working directly with are not even in StageGate yet. They're they're pre-stage gate. Okay. You so, know? so tell us more about that. About how how are you fitting together lean startup practices and stage gate? What, what what are you doing in that? I assume that's what you're trying to solve in stage zero. Yeah. And 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 so what we're doing is you you use uh you, you go all the way back to idea generation. There's many, many methodologies for generating great ideas. Mm-hmm. Um so I, I call you know, you, you there's brainstorming but there's a dozen books out there on brainstorming connecting the dots um co-creation so th- so you you need a spark you generate the idea then you want to quickly do some customer validate not even validation customer discovery customer mm-hmm. exploration so we have a saying again in the in the pit programs get out of the building that's, and I think that's an Eric Reese or Osterwalder tagline. Yeah, yeah. St- Steve Blank started it. So he, he was Steve Blank. He's okay. the one that Eric was yeah, inspired yeah. So by. He's another one, right? Yep. Get out of the building. So you get out of the building. You go test. Does anybody care? Um, and then from that, that those that early work, you can pretty quickly build your business model canvas. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've that, and then behind that canvas is a set of assumptions. And then what you're required to do as a team is look at those assumptions and say, you know. And I like to use an old failure mode and effect anal- analysis technique, right? What's the probability that I'm gonna this is I'm gonna be wrong? And if I am wrong, how big's the impact? Mm, right. And, and if I have a high number there, that's the assumption I want to go tackle. How do I tackle it? I start designing an experiment or two to test that assumption. And the collection of those experiments are what's called a learning plan. So you end up with you te- the way we run it. One company, you come to management. This is the learning plan I want to do. I need so many dollars and so many people and so much time. These are the four experiments I want to conduct, and we use another term we call turn the crank. So it, it, it's turning the crank through uh, four to five quadrants of uh, some people might call them lenses, right? So technical, clinical. Um, organizational, financial, you're not, these aren't just research projects. You're, you're coming at it from all five elements be, because you want to know, do I have a, a no crap somewhere in this idea? Something, you know, it, it could be technically smooth as could be, but if nobody wants it or cares about it, why invent it? And mm-hmm. so on. So, so that's a little bit more into the detail. This is again, all prior to putting this project into into a stage gate process right and, and let me summarize that i want to r- run through make sure i got the steps right so in your stage zero there, there's you, we start with the ideation somewhere there's the spark for the idea mm-hmm. and quickly do customer discovery get out of our cubes get out with real people since i spend so much time in coffee shops ask people in coffee shops about the idea <laughs> right what the problem is you said build a quick business model canvas this is that Alex Osterwald tool. I uh, interviewed him just a few weeks ago too. He's on the been on the podcast. So that one page kind of business plan to examine who, who are your customers, what's the real problem you're solving for them, how are you solving, what's your value proposition, you know, what's going to be your, your revenue streams and your cost streams, that sort of thing. And then you did this probability impact work to say, okay, mm-hmm. which assumptions should we better make sure we test? Because if we're wrong, they're going to be a big deal. Yep. And you create a learning plan to actually test those assumptions. Yep. And in your learning plan, now are, are you making specific questions to go back out and 
interact with customers? The, so the learning plan could be any one of those four to five quadrants in terms of, because uh, again, I think you have to always have the, the key notion is iteration. Mm-hmm. That's where the turn, turn the crank metaphor comes from. So you take a turn of the crank, you conduct the four experiments, you come back, you honestly look at the data. What did we learn? Did, did uh-oh, one of our major assumptions, we had it wrong. What do we do? Do we kill the project or do we pivot? From that, let's just say in this case, we're not going to kill the project, but but we have a completely different target audience. We've discovered, you know, instead of adults, it's we're going to go after teenagers as an example. Now we, again, we iterate. We look at everything from a clinical, from a technical, from a commercial, from a market standpoint, put another learning plan together. Mm-hmm. And turn the crank again. And and basically, there's no hard and fast rule of how many crank turns of the crank you do until you get to where you and your, your management team say, you know, I think we're confident enough. I think we've de-risked this enough. I think we've got a deep enough learning. Now I'm ready to go into stage gate. You know, I'm ready. I'm ready to execute mm-hmm. because I've had six months, 12 months, 18 months of learning to really, you know, honestly learn, you know, about this market, about my value prop, about my clinical uh, efficacy, whatever those challenges are. Um, I am now I am now ready for stage gate and drop drop me in and and let's go. Now I do want to launch right now. I do want to get the market. Excellent. I know when I first came across Lean Startup Ideas, they just resonated so much with me in terms of we spend too much time developing products no one actually wants, right? <laughs> and often yeah. we're in the middle of that and we kind of have a feeling that might be happening and we're stuck. And then Lean uh, Startup Practices really got formulated well, building on Steve Mike's work from uh, by Eric Reese. And I just, you know, it, it was like candy in the sense I just couldn't get enough of <laughs> now we have some good tools and a lot of us in product management, we, we had been doing something like that, right? But now they kind of got codified for us. This notion of let's actually figure out what the customer wants, what the real problem is, how can we create value for them before we start encountering the more expensive development activity so we know we're developing the right thing. Sure. Uh, very good. So appreciate you laying out your stage zero work. There's another resource I'm going to share with listeners and I'll put it in the show notes so Eric Reese wrote the first book in the Lean series. The second one is uh, Ash Mariah's uh, Running Lean. Mm-hmm. And he was back on episode uh, 10. So he was one of my early <laughs> interviews. And uh, that book and that interview does a nice job of talking through how do you run experiments. Yeah, I've got it. Uh, I like his work as well. Yeah, I, I find it is. I like the action-oriented perspective. Right, he he puts things into practice and tests them and see what works. Can, can I then? I'd like to just mention one more. Yeah. Small note on 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 lean startup and fitting it into StageGate, and it's the the word that comes to mind is velocity. The 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 ability to run many many ideas and do fast fail because mm-hmm. I think that's another big if you will, failure mode that, that the larger companies have that they can learn from this entrepreneurial environment because I'll work with these teams, right? And and again, over four years, dozens of teams now, and I've watched us take a very, very, you know, immature idea. And in eight weeks, the amount of work we can do to test and retest 
and then say, is this thing even worth a damn or not, is, is amazing. And then I go into the corporate environment and they can't even touch that kind of velocity. So I am working on a program with a client and a university. We have it in writing. We haven't executed it, but we do have the contract where I'm trying to bring grad, these more of these graduate students that I teach, which I, I, we did mention. You mentioned I teach at the U- University of Pittsburgh. I teach in their bioengineering school of Ma- in their school of bioengineering, and I teach a course on innovation management. Mm-hmm. So I get great exposure to some really, really smart young people. And um, so w- what I'm trying to put in place is the ability to use these students who have done one of these blast furnace eight week programs. Mm-hmm. So they kind of know the lean startup playbook. Right. And now I, and now I want to bring them in and provide them as a resource to a client, to a corporate client mm-hmm. says, Hey, Here's here's a smart young person and you know who who could take an idea with me working with them and your your scientist or your researcher and let's get to an answer in eight weeks. Let's not wait two years right. to find out if this thing is worth worth it or not. So I I'm kind of on that kick right now about it's not only good in terms of doing the proper due diligence and customer discovery, but if you do, do it right. There's a velocity mm-hmm. that can happen that's only going to help the company. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. A lot of large organizations, they're either told or they think themselves that they need to act more like a startup. I, I just struggle with that phrase because large organizations can't act like a startup. It's not in their DNA. It's not, not possible. But there are activities that they can bring in like this, you know. So for you know anyone in a startup listening, they might say, you know, eight weeks to you know test out a new idea. You gotta be kidding! You know, I, I do it in twenty four hours. But for established organizations, that's the velo- lot. You know, that's new improved velocity for them, yeah. and yeah. and is a big difference, a big deal. So thanks for sharing that. One question I suspect some listeners might be thinking of is why not just do lean entirely? Why is there still a stage gate thing in the picture? What do you think about that? I, th- I think it stays in the picture because, um, and again, this will be a large, mi- mid to large enterprise mm-hmm. viewpoint, is that to do global launch and to do scale, you, you, there's, you know, you know, there's hundreds of people that eventually have to be brought in to that effort when you're coming out with a new product. And so, in those later stages, when you're completing development and you're bringing manufacturing in, both for quality reasons and scalability reasons and cost objective reasons, you, you, stage gate is good for that. Mm-hmm. And then when you're ready to take it to the market and you've got to put marketing programs together and materials and you've got to educate salespeople or distributors around what this new product is and what the value prop is and what the differentiators are. I mean, that's a lot of work. And it's not like you stop stop learning. I mean, you never stop learning or finding problems and resolving them. But, but StageGate does a very powerful job of, of getting that whole orchestra, you know, playing together, which is needed. Right. When you're, when you're going to do a, a big launch, when you're going to, so I, I think that, and then the, and then the, there is the classic risk management of signing the checks as you go. Again, I worry that some of these projects will never do get killed. Um, but 
but I, I wouldn't I, I, I would not want to be ready to do a global launch and go, you know, gosh, let's take a look at our killer assumptions and, you know, go and go do a little, you know, a little uh, test or something when I've got, you know, four million dollars invested in trade shows and sales training. You know what I mean? At right. some point, we got we got to lock it down and we got to ship it, right. you know? Yeah. So I think stage eight is good for that. And I've seen uh, certainly in medium large businesses, it, it's something like a stage gate process, you know, uh, doing work in these, in these phases and then ha- having the review meetings to make sure, did we do what we needed to do? Are we ready for the next place we need to go? The next stage of work, even in startups, you know, with two years of experience that are 30 to a hundred people, and you know, they might be doing development in a lean fashion, but they're managing actual product development through something that resembles a stage gate mm-hmm. and just that's because they're managing the risk. And do we have everything accounted for that we need to have accounted for? Are we really prepared at each stage to move on? And, and, you know, we, we spend more money every time we go further in the process as we're getting closer to launch. So it's a way of helping to add visibility to that money that is being spent and manage it wisely. Mm-hmm. So good. So yep. this is great. So thanks for bringing some perspective on fitting together Lean Startup and StageGate and uh, really getting that done in a stage zero process, as you shared. And I'm also delighted to hear about activities at Blast Furnace and First Gear and things I want to look more into. Uh, love those ideas of, of programs that schools are doing and incubation labs to make these practices more accessible to people. I'm curious, you've been in product management so long and such good experience what wisdom would you impart to a younger product manager? You know, if, if you look back and uh, when, you, when you were yanked out of engineering and they said, hey, Atkins, you come help us with this. What's something that you wish you would have known starting out that you, you did not know? I think, and it, it kind of goes a little bit back to this um, quote that we, that we were talking about earlier that I'll, I'll mention is that I, I think today, there are so much more tools and educational ability or capabilities out there so that it you don't have to be thrown in, you know, thrown into the fire or thrown into the water mm-hmm. with no training. So for me, it, it, it's wonderful to be teaching product development at a university, mm-hmm. to be mentoring entrepreneurial programs at, at a u- university. Um you know, we haven't talked a lot about PDMA, but the types of programs that we do here in Pittsburgh, what we call our innovation forums, and the ability for young product managers to come meet people who are in the space, who do the profession every day. So those networking opportunities are there. Um, it, you know, it all comes together uh, in this notion of community. So I, I think... And, and I think the other thing, having two sons that are product managers, I, I don't know if I mentioned it or not, but my older son is a product manager at Google hmm. here in Pittsburgh. And my younger son is a product manager for a company called Riot Games that makes a, a large online uh, game, League of Legends, uh, hmm. which is what well known in his group. So, so the difference is that, you know, get, trying to give advice to the young product manager is that there is a community, there is a network of knowledge and people, mm-hmm. of experiences that are out there. So don't ever feel alone. You, you know, don't feel, even if you get thrown into the water, into the deep end, there are people, there are books, there are podcasts, there's so much out there now 
that um, you really ought to take advantage of. So I guess, as I said earlier, uh, we've had some really wonderful things happen recently through our PDMA and through my mentoring. And we too often chalk it up to luck and say, wow, that was lucky. We so-and-so met so-and-so or so-and-so got a job at such and such place. And then there's this Thomas Jefferson quote, right? The the harder I work, the luckier I get. And and I think that's, you know, what I'm trying to do. I think that's what we're trying to do and through PDMA and through the Pittsburgh community. We, we're working hard to build a community so people can learn and be better at their job, you know, and be better for their employer and, and you know, kind of live a really, it's a really, really fulfilling life, as you know. I mean, there's, other than kids, I, I don't know if there's anything greater than <laughs> Than to bring into life than when you bring a new product right. to life to the market. There's nothing cooler. So um, it's a pretty cool career to, to, to have. It is. Thanks for sharing that. There are so many new options available for being part of what I would call a community of practice, right? The, the other product managers at different stages in their career. And you can go to meetup.com, go to pdma.org, find these groups uh, near you, join one that's online. And there's people that are glad, you know, like you, you, you have mentored so many other younger product managers and people interested in product management. There's people that are glad to be mentors and just someone to bounce ideas off of and, you know, say, what, what would you do in this situation? And thanks for sharing the quote, too. You know, that, that hard work pays off. It, it prepares opportunities. So, Mark, how can people find out about the work that you are doing? You've been helping companies for several years now with these sort of ideas. They can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Mark W. Atkins. Um, I know I'll, I come come up on LinkedIn. I have a website, um, uh, www.smarthammerin.com. I don't know if we mentioned my company name, but my company name is Smart, Smart Hammer Innovation. So you can find it uh, through smarthammerin.com. And then locally, um, I'm still active with PDMA. If you just go, uh, Chad, you mentioned www.pdma.org. I'm the volunteer executive director of the Pittsburgh chapter. Um, uh, and then you can also find me at the University of Pittsburgh <laughs> as an adjunct professor. So um, uh, those are ways to, to contact me. I would encourage anybody. If you have further questions, I really appreciate, Chad, you giving me the time to share some of my thoughts and experiences. And if anybody would like any follow-up dialogue, please uh, call or email me. Um, it, it is a community of practice that we need to build. Excellent. And I'll put those links in there too. And Mark, I really do appreciate your time. I'm always glad to have experienced product managers on that can talk about what it's like in the trenches and actually getting this work done as a product manager. So thank you very much. Thank you, Chad. Thanks for listening. If we're not already connected on LinkedIn, please send me a connection request. Just search for Chad McAllister, PhD, and you'll find my profile. For a summary of the discussion with Mark, just go to the everydayinnovator.com slash 132. And from that page, you'll also be able to download the Product Mastery Roadmap. It shows you how to go from product manager to product master. All that and more is at the everydayinnovator.com slash 132. Keep innovating. Thank you for listening to The Everyday Innovator, which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources, please visit our blog at theeverydayinnovator.com.